Kara Meek, and I'm the National President for Women's Energy Network, aka WEN. WEN is focused on developing a community of energy professionals across the world who are connected locally and networked globally. This podcast is dedicated to sharing stories and experiences of those who are part of our growing community. I hope you enjoy this episode. My name is Sally Hollingston, and I am your host for today's episode. We have Rachel Pacheco, professor, author, and soon to be my favorite podcast guest with us today. I found Rachel on LinkedIn through a mutual connection and gently stalked her when I started reading about a book that she authored, Bringing Up the Boss. Rachel, thank you so much for taking your time today to join us. Uh, Let's get started by first having you introduce yourself to our audience. Sally, it's such a pleasure. I'm so, so excited to speak with you. So as you, as you kindly introduced, um, I am a professor at the Wharton School and I focus on management and my specific research focuses on power and conflict. And I advise a lot of uh, startup organizations and setting up their people operations and people infrastructure. But my real passion is new managers and helping uh, managers kind of find their way, manage themselves and, and manage teams and organizations well. And that passion really came from the place of, I've had really bad bosses in the past and, you know, realize how much a bad boss can pretty much ruin your, your day, your week, your month, and your job. And, you know, I thought, okay, well, if I can make one person's day a little bit better by helping upskill their boss, then, uh, then, then that's a well-lived life. So I, I love writing about new managers and providing tools and tips. And um, I'm excited to talk to you about that today. We're just going to dive right in because um, I did download the book, Bringing Up the Boss on my Kindle, and I love it. You had three main sections in this book, and you kind of touched a little bit on them, but the three are managing an individual, managing a team, and managing yourself. And as we discussed before we started recording, one, I love your writing style. I think being able to read this book is is super it's super easy and to follow. And then there's a lot of good humor in it, which I'm excited to pull out of you in this in this podcast episode today. We are going to focus on the managing yourself piece for this particular episode. And so for all of our listeners, I highly encourage you, especially after this episode, to go back and look at this book and, and use it as a tool for you. There are four chapters in this managing yourself section, uh, confidence and vulnerability, power, use it for good, not evil, managing up, and should I stay or should I go? So let's stay in order and kick off the discussion with confidence and vulnerability. Great. And I'm so excited to, uh, to talk about this, you know, the section of managing yourself. Um, cause often we focus on, you know, managing an individual or managing a team. And what I like to come back to is management is all about relationships. It's how we manage relationships. And one of the most important relationships we have is the one with ourselves. Uh, and so figuring out how to, uh, how to manage ourselves, um, and, and, you know, manage those above us and manage those below us confidence and vulnerability. So a, a really close friend of mine, Tyler, I was asking for, you know, his best piece of management advice. And he said, you know, the best piece of management advice is show confidence up and vulnerability down. And what that means is to your boss, you want to be proactive. You want to own the relationship. Um, you want to take things off your boss's plate and really kind of drive the agenda with your own boss. And that's really this confidence of, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm capable and equipped and I'm, I'm developing in this role. And vulnerability down means 
when you're managing your team or an individual beneath you, you know, you're their manager, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be a perfect manager. You can say, I don't know. You can show to them that you're not an expert because especially when you become a first-time manager, you're going to stink at it, right? It's really hard to do. Um, and it takes a long time to be a great manager. And often what we do is we try to show a ton of confidence when we first start managing and our teams can totally sniff out the BS that we don't know what we're doing. And instead of pretending and showing all this false confidence, we just say to our team, Hey, I'm learning. Um, here's where I failed. Here's the mistake that I made. And you're really vulnerable and open with them. And what that does is it builds a really genuine and authentic connection with your team members. They become on your side. They want to help you succeed. And it builds a huge amount of trust, which is core to any relationship and especially the manager manager relationship. And that's one thing I really appreciated about this book and, and specifically this section too, is that it not necessarily has to apply to your professional career life. You can also use a lot of these tips that you provide in your volunteer service. And I know that uh, through Women's Energy Network, a lot of the women that are listening today are probably on a committee or on a, a, a leadership team within a chapter of Women's Energy Network. And that's one thing that I think is super important and that I've used with our volunteer team is just the vulnerability piece. And, and also recognizing like, you know, not only do I not know it all, but I can't do it all, you know, and I need help. And so I, I really appreciate that because you do talk about quite a different, quite a, a number of different tips to be able to, to make that happen. I love what you said about volunteering and, and being in a, a situation where, um, you know, there might not be explicit roles or, you know, a formal relationship. What I found too, is asking for help is a form of vulnerability and we don't do it enough and people want to be given the opportunity to help you out. And so I would just encourage kind of as a, a, a take-home tip for your listeners is, is try to ask for help in a situation where you wouldn't have otherwise and, and see the result. And the result is often, you know, incredible. And, and people really step up to the plate when you say, Hey, I need help. I can't do this. I can't, you know, I have too many things going on. Um, people want to help. That's an excellent tip. And I, I personally need to use it more often. <laughs> so moving on to the next chapter of this section, power, use it for good, not evil. Uh, the thing that I liked about this chapter is you talk about how to manage friends. I had recently been in a position where I was working for a friend. And so some of your uh, notes throughout this whole thing, I was just like, oh yeah, yep. I remember that. So could you please let our listeners know a little bit more about what you mean by that? The power, use it for good, not evil. So when we get, when we get power, a lot of funky things happen to us. So when we gain more power, we end up surrounding ourselves by yes, people, we, you know, start looking at, um, we look at data differently. We look at input differently and in, we're often not as open or as curious as we were before. And so with, uh, kind of this idea of power, use it for good, not evil. It's this idea of especially when you start to manage you know, a friend or you have an informal management relationship, we often do one of two things. We either become this like super formal boss person 
And we think with our new title, we need to now tell people what to do. So our friend now becomes the person that we tell what to do. And we, we become really strict and really formal so that it's clear that we are the manager. The flip side of that is we go the entirely other direction where we become super deferential to our friend um, because we feel really uncomfortable and it's awkward to be in this position of authority over, over a peer. So we let them tell us what they're going to do and we don't state our needs and we aren't explicit about our expectations. Uh, so it's, it's this really fine balance between understanding, Hey, I still need to set expectations with my, with my friend or or with another informal relationship. I want to be explicit about, um, feedback and I want to give feedback. And the point of a manager isn't to boss someone around or to tell someone what to do. It's to motivate, it's to inspire, it's to help the other person succeed in remembering that as you gain influence and as you gain authority. And tying that back again to volunteer service, I feel that the latter thing that you mentioned about when you defer to, uh, you know, somebody else on the team, when maybe you're the the president of the chapter and instead of taking authority kind of, you know, and, and kind of guiding, and like you said, managing, you're more deferring to people. And sometimes chapters, they can't do that because as volunteer service, especially, you're, you're spending your extra time. Sometimes you don't want to have to think about all these things. You just want to be told what to do. And I think that, um, that's one thing that you have to balance as you're starting to lead a chapter or whatever it might be. Like, what is your role and how are you going to execute that role to make sure that everybody's comfortable and everybody's working at the, their top, their peak performance. Absolutely. And I, I would add, be really explicit with your members about what you're doing. You know, in state, you can even state, hey, this is this might be a little bit uncomfortable for me. I'm not usually in a position where I'm telling people what to do, but I want to set clear expectations with with all of us so that we can get a ton done. Um, and again, back to vulnerability, be open about that. And people are so much more receptive and, and welcoming when when you state up front, this is how I'm going to operate and give me your feedback on that. Uh, but, but I'm going to be explicit with my expectations and, uh, in, you know, in, in service of the greater good. So the next section I got really pumped about, uh, managing up. Um, and I just like your person, like when you kicked off the chapter you had a personal scenario that you talked about, um, a Tuesday morning meeting, a regular Tuesday morning meeting that you had and the the steps you kind of went through on Monday night. And when you were going through that, I was literally laughing out loud because I'm like, this is me. (laughs) How do I get out of this meeting? (laughs) Will you kind of tell our listeners about that personal scenario and then what, what this chapter is kind of geared towards? So as I'm sure probably 80 or 90% of people have this, we have a weekly standing meeting with our manager, with our boss, where the purpose of the standing meeting is often vague, but you know, it's loosely update on progress and managers, you know, can support you and problems that you've had and things like that. And what I've experienced is, you know, the night before these standing weekly meetings, I'm like, shoot, I have nothing to talk about. I don't need any feedback from my manager on my work product. I don't have any problems. So I go through this kind of cycle of like, okay, well, what, what's, what, what's the approach I'm going to take this week? Can I just cancel the calendar invite and hope that my boss doesn't realize it got pulled off of, you know, pulled off of her calendar. So it's kind of option one. Option two is, do I make up a problem 
to tell my boss. And then we spend the hour brainstorming around this problem that actually I don't have, you know, option three, do I, do we spend the hour gossiping about, you know, someone else on the team and hope my manager takes the bait. And, and so you kind of go through this list of things because we don't quite know what these one-on-one meetings are with our manager and they're not used effectively. So, you know, the idea behind that was, Hey, well, what, what should you do in a manager one-on-one and, 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 and how can you be effective in owning the relationship with your boss and, you know, putting the onus on yourself to drive these meetings and be proactive and think about, you know, what can I do to, to take off my boss's plate? Uh, and how can I drive an intellectual agenda and, and do all these other things such that I'm not in this position every week that I'm just kind of waiting around to see who, who swerves off the road first in the game of chicken and ends up canceling the meeting because we have nothing to talk about. I really like that you also talk about understanding and adapting to your boss's style. That's one thing I think, you know, it takes a little bit of time to really understand what that dynamic is. My position now I've been in for, you know, almost a year. And I think that I'm finally understanding how I add value to her life. Um, Cause one of the things that you also mentioned was your boss has however many things going on in their head, they are not thinking about you as much as you think they are. And I really liked that reality check. I was like, but my work is so important. (laughs) And so like reading through this, it really reminded me, I'm like, oh yeah, this is how I can do a better job of adding value to my boss and being like a true asset to her versus, you know, like you said, like having meetings where you're trying to, you know, think of things that you think are important to her. Yeah. And and I would add one of the biggest kind of aha moments for me my management journey, you know, I, I thought I got really great at giving feedback, which is the second chapter in my book and just how important it is to give constructive feedback to people above you, the people below you and all this kind of stuff. And I had this boss that I just kept giving her this feedback around her um, kind of approach to team culture and her approach to people development. And I kept giving her this feedback and she wasn't adapting her behavior. She wasn't changing. And I was getting really, really, really frustrated. And I had this incredible executive coach who said, wait a minute, you can do people development and you can do team culture. Like that's, you can fill in her gaps. You can't just expect her to change all the time. Like what can you do to adapt and complement her leadership style? And then what, wow, what a, what a dynamo team, you know, she's doing these other things and you're focusing on team culture. And it really hit me there that yeah, adapt to her style or adapt to your boss's style. And it's going to create an incredibly powerful relationship. And you're going to become, you know, indispensable in your role because you're filling in someone else's gaps. And so that that really resonated with me when I first heard it. And, and, and I hope it resonates with others. And then the final chapter in this particular section of managing yourself, you have it titled, should I stay or should I go? I liked this as well, because you gave some great micro steps on assessing this. If you could just let our listeners know uh, what your thoughts were behind this, this chapter, should I stay or should I go? One of my most favorite people I managed um, was this woman, Catherine, and she, you know, left our team for this new incredible role where she was, you know, really making a leap in her career. And it was really exciting and wonderful. And she sent me this great card at the end, um, at the end of our, our time together. And she said, Hey, I just want you to just want to let you know the piece of advice that's that you said that really stuck with me. And I was expecting like all of these really kind of 
important lofty things that I had imparted on her over the last, you know, four years and just really thinking really highly of myself. And she said the best piece of advice I had given her was don't love something that can't love you back. And it's this idea that our jobs can't love us back. And sometimes we have to make really hard decisions about leaving a job and we can love our teams. We can love our you know, our teammates, we can love our managers, but don't necessarily love your company. And when it's time to, when it's time to move on for a better opportunity, embrace that. And and what often happens is it often goes the reverse where our, our companies or our teams might outgrow us. And then we have this huge identity crisis because we think, but I, I've loved this company so much. And now they're, you know, they're, they're letting me go or they're not promoting me. And how could this be? Um, and so it's this idea of take care of yourself too, and go out and find those opportunities. Um, even if it means, you know, leaving in, leaving an organization, um, that you care about, but you don't necessarily uh, need to, you know, unconditionally love it. And will you touch for our listeners, touch on the micro steps that you included in that chapter? So, you know, one of the things with, with, with looking for outside roles is oftentimes what we do is we focus on the roles right in front of us, not on, uh, not on potential roles that might not be immediately in our, um, you know, in our view. And so my, my push to folks is to think about those jobs that aren't immediately apparent. Um, and you can do that by what I like to call them kind of little micro steps that, that, that help you to start thinking about what should my next role be? What, what do I want to, where do I want to go next? And so I'll just share a couple that, that I find powerful. The first is kind of this idea of an intention statement of getting really clear and articulate about, you know, what are you hoping to accomplish? What's the, in a few sentences, why are you embarking on this process? You know, what are you leaving behind or what do you want to leave behind and what do you want to achieve in your next role? And, in kind of really this, this, your, why, why are you going on this process? Then the second one that I like is no role has everything. No role has the size of the company that you want, plus the industry, plus the um, perfect manager, plus the perfect salary, plus the perfect geography, plus, plus, plus. And oftentimes we spend so much time seeking this perfection. Um, And what we really need to do is create a list of what's most important to us. It's like, what are the deal breakers versus what are all the things we want? So this idea of, hey, list out a couple of these deal breakers and others that don't matter as much. You know, for example, I really want to work for a small company um, in an operations role. Do I care if the small company is in healthcare or education? Mm, either could be okay, but it's just really important to be in that small company. So thinking about kind of your must-haves. The other one that I uh, that I love is I call it the envy list, and this is this idea of create a list of the people in your life whose jobs you like totally envy. Um, and, and, you know, if you could make, wave a magic wand, you'd have their job and, and then talk to those people and understand what they do in their role, you know, ask them the, the pros and the cons and, and, and kind of create this list of these ideal roles that you have. And, and what, what we often find out is that things are, you know, the grass is always greener, but it's really helpful to, 
really understand why you envy their job so much. You know, do you envy their job so much because they get to travel a lot or is it because you feel like they have a great compensation package versus, oh, I envy this person's job because the person seems really happy and fulfilled day to day. So, you know, it, it's, it's helpful to understand why we envy something and then can work backwards, um, work backwards from that. And I guess the last one I would add as we're, we're searching for a new job is, you know, there's research that shows that you'll likely find your new role through a weak tie, not through a strong tie. But that means kind of in LinkedIn parlance is you'll find a role from a secondary or a third connection, not necessarily a first connection. And so what that means is create a list of create a list of your, you know, your, your top 20 people that you'll go to and then ask them to introduce you to people, ask them to introduce you to that set, that second connection, as opposed to relying on that top 20 to find something. So really exploit those, um, or leverage rather those weak ties. This isn't part of the section that I want to talk about today, but um, in, in chapter four of your book, you talk about mentoring versus feedback versus coaching. Could you kind of give a little explanation of what you mean about the difference between those and how each one is important? I'll start with feedback. Feedback is the process of sharing, sharing how a behavior that you've done could be adapted or altered or reinforced, right? So I give you feedback on how you present meetings and I provide suggestions of um, how you could improve. So that's, that's feedback. Mentoring, I often find, and we can see this with mentors, we seek out mentors who have a bit more life experience um, than us and, and, who, and who, who can use their own experiences, their own networks to kind of guide us along our paths, shepherding us along through their own experiences. A lot of times mentors will tell you what they've done in the past and provide advice on what you should do. Um, so that's how I think of a mentoring relationship. Coaching, I distinguish as a pretty distinct activity where a coach doesn't tell you what to do, nor tells you what they've done in the past. Rather, a coach asks a series of questions to help you discover what you can do in the future. And it's really to build this muscle of decision-making through guided questions. So a coach kind of has a much more neutral approach in that they're not saying, Hey, this is what I did in the past, which is often what a mentor does. And they're not saying, Hey, this is what you should do moving forward, which is more of a feedback conversation. It's rather a set of questions to support this self-discovery of, of how we can be in the world. I realize I didn't tee my question up very well, but you answered it very well. Because <laughs> in my head, the way my my noodle brain was going was with that whole "should I stay or should I go" and the micro steps you provided. I think that that chapter of the mentoring versus feedback versus coaching is really helpful to understand that you do need all pieces of that. Um, and I think understanding, you know, like you said, the feedback you've received, the mentoring advice you've gotten, and then maybe some coaching questions you've heard will help you then find your next step your next role or the best fit for you. I love that tie um, between the two chapters that, that you're that you're making. And like a great friend or a great mentor is going to do all three in a conversation. They're going to, there's going to be points in the conversation where they're going to push you through questions to figure something out that you probably already know. 
versus sway your, you know, your, your decision with what they did or what they think you should do. Again, like, like some, I have some great friends who, who do this beautifully, right. Where they act as all three in the same discussion. Um, and, and that can be really powerful. One other thing, uh, first of all, thank you for recapping that section. I think for all of our listeners, I, I hope they have already gotten kind of like peaked, peaked their interest in the book. The first two chapters, or excuse me, the first two sections are not any less important. I just really resonated personally with third section, which is why we're talking about it today. But one of the things that um, I, I don't want to give too much away of your book, but the, the one thing that I think you have chapter 17, you have breaking up is hard to do. And in relation to what you wrote, I'm wondering if you can tie that to the volunteer side once again, and just talk about like, regardless if it's your career or a volunteer experience, how you can recognize that someone may not be a good fit. Um, and then how you make that breakup happen in a, in a professional way. It starts with, it starts with being really clear of your expectations of the, of, of the role and all that kind of stuff. And, and sometimes we don't do that. And, and the, it becomes clear that the person's not a fit, but, but anyway, it starts with, I would just push everyone to make sure you're setting really clear expectations with people you're working with, whether it's volunteer or whether it's in a, um, a full-time organization. The one thing I would say kind of in my experience having to, you know, to break up with people professionally is being really upfront, um, and being really clear about, Hey, these are the next, these are, these are the steps moving forward. Like this isn't working. Here's, here are some reasons why, and let's, let's move to resolution, whether that's finding a different place in the organization where your skills better match or finding a different organization where you're, you know, where, where you can truly add the value that, you know, that, that we know you can add, um, where things get really bad is when we prolong this discussion for fear of having it. And what I see all the time is a manager is so afraid of having the breakup conversation that they end up like being passive aggressive or icing the person out or not giving them responsibilities or tasks. And I mean, we can feel when emotions shift or when behavior shifts and, and, and when we know our manager is acting differently, we, we can tell. And so it just makes it much worse when things are prolonged. So I would say that the number one thing is have the conversation early, be really transparent and make sure you're offering support for the person as they transition out um, and, and show them that you care above all else. And, and it'll be fine. And people are resilient and, and people want to contribute to the best of their abilities. And they know if they're not. And sometimes what it takes is someone else saying, Hey, I recognize that you're not contributing up to your fullest potential. Let's acknowledge that and then figure out the the next steps moving forward. So I imagine, obviously you have worked with both genders, right? Like, you know, men are known to be matter of fact and whatever they say, isn't meant to be personal. It's meant to be like business minded, right? And women don't always get that. And if they are matter of fact, or if they do call out something, people think of them as being too bitchy. What is some of your recommendation that you would have in handling that if, if women are in those positions where they are getting that feedback? It's so hard being a woman sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, you know, one of the things, and I don't know if I have the silver bullet to this, um, and I'm by no means a gender expert, but I think, you know, there's a big fear. I, I see this a lot with managers. There's like a big fear of being perceived as mean, you know, and to your point, um, bitchy is another way that, that people call it, but like, we're so afraid of being mean that in our kindness, we're like not straightforward or we string people along or it just actually becomes worse. So one thing I would say that, that I sometimes do, and it goes back to this idea of vulnerability is you're about to have a hard conversation upfront. You can acknowledge, you know, you can acknowledge how you're feeling or that this conversation might not be perfect or whatever it is, acknowledge something upfront that makes it clear that you care about the person and that you're not cold, right? Because I think that's often the problem is that we conflate being direct with being cold. And those aren't, you know, you can be direct and still be really warm and really empathetic and really caring. And so one of the ways to do that is to acknowledge upfront and to um, express how much you care and, and make that clear in your actions and still be direct. So I would say it's not an either or, it's a be direct and show vulnerability, show empathy, show care. That was excellent advice. And one of the things that I saw you post on LinkedIn was also a reference to your book, but it was about the manager paradox, which I'm super excited to share with our listeners that you are going to be having that article and description about what that manager paradox is in our next issue of Empower Magazine. Um, and, and just do a little bit of alluding, don't give the whole thing away, but give a little teaser on what the manager paradox is. So the manager paradox is this fact that when we're managers, the more we care about the development of our team, about the people we manage as human beings, essentially the more we care, the harder and more exhausting our job as managers uh, is. So it's really this paradox that if we cared less, our job would be easier, <laughs> but we don't, we care a lot. And, and so how do we um, acknowledge and, 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 and lessen the load of that paradox? I really appreciate you being on this episode today. Like I said, I think um, it's been so engaging. I think you're my favorite podcast guest. Please don't <laughs> Thank you. tell the 27 before. Uh <laughs> Thanks, Sally. That's really sweet. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just because you, you, you know, I said it before, but you write very engagingly, you talk very engagingly, and it's just like, it's really good information for anyone at any point in their career and whether it's in their career or in their volunteer service. So I really appreciate your time today. Um, but we are going to end with a fun fact speed round. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I, didn't read so, I didn't actually read these. So oh, well, let's good, see. Good. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> um, but the, the idea is no, long explanations, just short answers. So here we go. Are you more of a binge TV watcher or do you prefer to watch as episodes are released? Binge. Excellent. What genre of books do you prefer to read? Uh, fiction. And then what's the most common way that you find inspiration? Hiking in nature, being, uh, being alone in nature. Any final tip you want to leave for our listeners? This is from a podcast I just listened to. So this is not my tip, but it was a podcast um, with the author, George Saunders. And he said, enter everything you do with kindness. And I thought that was beautiful. Thank 
you for listening. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate and review, and follow us on social media. Guest info and action links can be found in the episode notes. But if you have any questions, make sure you contact us via our website, www.womensenergynetwork.org. Until next time, stay connected. Thank you.